When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. From Autosport.com and Autosport magazine, I'm Martin Lee. This is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to a brand new year, and we always like at this time of the year to sit down with our technical guru, Jake Boxall-Leg, who is back on the Formula One beat in 2024 with an eye on what's changing and what's not changing regulations technical-wise. So, Jake, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's nice to be here in the flash face-to-face. We don't get to see this enough, so... Uh... Oh. No. It's good fun. But let's talk about what the teams have been working on or not work- working on over the off-season and their Christmas holidays. First of all, I think the big thing that got some attention before Christmas was tyres and that this is the first time in you know, a, a very long time, living memory, if you're 20 years old, I suppose, uh, that the tyres haven't changed very much at all between seasons. There is one change in the C0 tyre compound is officially being dropped. The tyre compound that got no use in 2023 uh, and will continue to get no use in 2024. So that is a change uh, that is going to make little difference. Um, honestly, I think that's a good thing because year on year we have different tyres and we have people moaning about them every single time. There's always this complaints of, uh, you know, this compound isn't very good, yada, yada, yada. But actually to have some continuity, um, everybody will have very similar data sets on, on each compound. So going into the, the new season, hopefully there's some degree of convergence. There's not going to be a team that has, let's say, a huge advantage. Um, and for the teams that have struggled on tyres this year, Ferrari to some extent has to a bigger extent um, because they'll have data for the full season. Um They'll know what they got wrong and how to change it rather than have to try and preempt um, a whole new compound. So in previous years, from year to year, what would have been the changes that teams would have been tackling? Because at the end of the year, we often see things like tyre tests. And what would they? What data would they have been changing from year to year? Um, it, it kind of depends on what, what compound it is. There's uh, obviously a lot of... Um, I think I think since Pirelli came in, especially when it was first tasked with coming up with tyres that had a clear and defined cliff, let's call it, of, of wear and degradation, 
teams were trying to get their head around when that would be and trying to preempt that and trying to build their strategies around that. Now that they're a little bit more predictable to that regard, um, what the changes are is basically how much load do you put through? How do you heat them up? How do you prepare them for, for a lap? How do you ensure that you can get them through the whole race without taking too much out of them? So that's basically what they're looking for in data. That's what they're trying to to work with. Um, equally, um, you also have the construction of tyre as well. And that's something that Pirelli has changed sort of iteratively over the last few years, trying to make it more impervious to to to, to bursting to, to punctures um, and trying to ensure there's no such things as uh, delaminations and that kind of thing. I think that's something that ever since the move to 18-inch tyres, I think they've sort of been quite conservative on that front, you know, high-profile delaminations over the last few years, and I don't think there's really been any over the last uh, three se- two seasons or so. So I think that's kind of the main points of focus. And next year it will be, again, just sort of honing in on where they go with their preparation for a qualifying lap, uh, how they get a compound through the race. Um, because ultimately what they all want to do is they all want to do a one-stop at the end of the day because that's probably going to end up being faster to some degree. Um, it, again, it does depend on which compounds are best, but obviously if, you, if, you, if you're able to kind of work on getting the most out of a hard tyre without taking too much out of it, then, you know, that's something that's going to be huge for, for races and things like that. And then, of course, there's, track specific as well um you have different sort of like macro and micro levels of um uh, abrasion on on each track and it's just setting up for each one um there's not it's not any 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 you know new new venues in 2024 everyone's got a season's worth of data at least especially for for vegas and venues like that so um hopefully should be pretty sort of like everybody should be on the same page with it you mentioned Vegas that ended up being a cracking race and the, the critics would say, you know, Formula One engineers just want more data all of the time. The best things can happen when it, it rains or when there's a sprint weekend and they've got no practice and, and they're they're unprepared. What does the consistency entire data from one year to the next mean for how they approach a weekend and for what kind of action we might see as fans? Uh, I think I think it's twofold because I think ultimately you're not going to have that surprise factor which I think hit Vegas this year. Everybody was very very surprised about how little grip there was, um, but equally um, I think as I, as I sort of mentioned, you know everybody's on the sort of same page with tire data, so it should be a little bit more that the teams can kind of just sort of like work around it and, and therefore sort of strategy becomes a little bit more of a thing because um, rather than just sort of like trying to preempt where and um, guess basically and, and try and build around that, the fact that everybody's going to sort of have clear and defined strategy should make it a little bit more sort of, I, I guess, tactical from that point of view. Um, I think ultimately if you sort of did shock everybody and have a massive surprise, it would create a very interesting race. But I don't think that's sustainable long term. Um, unfortunately, uh, and we can't have sort of mad races all the time. Plus, anyway, you, you know, even though it was sort of relatively close in Vegas this year, Red Bull still won out. So, you know, how much for <laughs> of a mixed up race is it? Um, so I, I think that's basically sort of long and short of it. As I say, everyone's going to have sort of a year's uh, experience. Some races are in different times of the year. Uh, in 2024, we've got the Japanese Grand Prix in April. Uh, we've got the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in September. 
climatic conditions might be a little bit different to what we're used to. So there's still some degree of uh, of unknown in that regard. And sometimes when we do the podcast, we say, oh, sorry to talk about tyres again. It never really kind of bothered me because it's a part of the sport. It's a variable in the sport. Never mind you know, the same as any, anything else. Never mind talking about it too much. Some people, I think the, the TV commentators as well, sometimes a bit apologetic about, oh, I did a tyre talk again, but it never really bothered me. Do you think there'll be less of that in 2024 because there's so much more data on the tyres? Do you think just be, there'll be just less of a variable in the sport? Uh, I think... To a degree, yeah. Um, what we're also going to have, though, uh, I did neglect to mention this, but it's just sort of come to me, is that everybody's going to be running with a little bit more load in 2024. Um, and one can assume this because, you know, that's that's what happens year on year when you get a settled kind of set of regulations. Um, everybody's, you know, finding more downforce. So the tyres are going to sort of be under a little bit more stress and what usually happens in that regard is Pirelli's just going to sort of put the minimum pressures up. So there's not really too much for change. Um, the tyres will behave a little bit differently. But I don't think, you know, we don't know of any such change that's going to happen for this season. I think we'll only know that after testing and after the opening few rounds if Pirelli needs to do anything additional. Um, that might change a few things for some teams, um, but it's not going to be too much of a difference. It's not going to be a night and day difference. So I think that's sort of one effect that the you're going to have. But I don't, and you mentioned the sort of commentators being apologetic. I don't necessarily understand that because every racing category is like this. The tyres are the only thing between the car and the road. Extracting performance out of them is the most important part of, of, of Formula One. You can have the fastest car, the most powerful car, but if you're not able to do enough with the tyres to put that power down, then you're going absolutely nowhere. So, you know, getting something out of it is it, it, it's, it is a huge science of its own. Um, everybody has these tyre models that they're trying to build up and build up, and it's something they'll never 100% have accurate. It's an iterative process, but it's something all of these teams are building to try and, you know, find an advantage. One of the things that I liked learning about over the last couple of seasons was who was really good at managing that and who had work to do. And we saw, I think, interesting storylines in 2023, like the pace of Oscar Piastri, genuinely quick. But he himself said, actually, I probably need to be a little bit better with racecraft and learning how to bring these tyres in. And then a point that one of Max Verstappen's skills has been how he brings the tyres in and how he manages the tyres. And so rather than being apologetic about talking about tyres and stuff like that, it's a it's not only a key performance differentiator between the teams, but it's part of the human story of Formula One in that some drivers are good at things and some drivers are good at other things. And that actually how they use those tools at their disposal, I find that quite an interesting conversation. So more of that in 2024. Yeah, certainly. And I think, it, and again, it sort of changed a little bit with how the tyres have been. Uh, if you remember sort of back in 2012, when the tyres were basically uh, camembert on a metal rim, Sergio Perez was lauded for his ability to manage the tyres and was able to do great things with the Sauber that year. This year, it's not something that he's been sort of particularly commended for because Verstappen has been so impressive and and let's be honest, he hasn't really. So I think when it comes to a driver's skill set, whether they deal with more durable tyres like the ones we have now or the softer tyres that we had sort of back then that degraded very, very quickly, you know, the current generation of tyre is something that 
Lando Norris has also been very, very good at in relation to Piastri, who you mentioned, Max Verstappen has been very, very good at. That's a skill in itself. And it sort of really highlights not necessarily the drivers, but also the, the cars that are just on the knife edge of being able to manage what they can with the tyres. Um, the, you know, for example, the McLaren, you know, Piastri falls on one side and Norris falls on the other. Whereas with the Ferrari, where it's been sort of tough on its tyres all year, even with their commendable skill, uh, Leclerc and Sainz have both sort of struggled here and there with, with, with you know, keeping the tyres sort of about themselves I guess so it is very much driver dependent but it's also you know ultimately you are limited by the machinery you have at your disposal as you say that's the four contact patches that every car has to deal with let's talk about all the other stuff that goes around that um, about some power unit stuff and some aero and anything else that the teams might be working on over the off season until they go testing again otherwise what would be the point of pre-season testing? If it's all the same as 2023, um, then let's just rock it up for race one. So uh, in terms of the tyre, we know that the data is is all there. The tyres are staying the same. Uh, you mentioned Ferrari and Haas of teams that will want to use that data in order to have better seasons. What can they and what can't they be working on in the off-season to fix their deficiencies from 23? Well, what we've got is a very, very stable set of regulations, which is fantastic from a certain standpoint. Um, we've got a situation where, uh, and I think if you look back at other really great seasons, it's because there was a very, very stable set of regulations. 2021, for example, great season, a little bit of regulation change to the floor, but otherwise everything was very, very static. Then you came into 2022 and everything kind of spaced out again. You are going to slowly see that convergence. And you saw that over this season, actually, McLaren getting a lot closer to the front and they were able to make that jump. Aston Martin sort of being able to make the jump at the start of the season sort of hit a little bit of a buffer mid-season with their development but started to get back into it. And then... As, as Matt Q enters the room, <laughs> having having got his cancelled train uh, onto the next one, uh, Matt, we're talking uh, tech for 2024 with, with JBL. Yep. Say something interesting about tyres in Formula One for us. I don't know what's been covered already, but the really pessimistic take is that all of the spectacle shortfall will be much worse next year because we have even more aero development. Um, everyone's going to converge around the Red Bull McLaren DRS trick to neutralise the overtaking effect that will have. And Pirelli, uh, it will take them you know, the better part of a year to do their analysis, develop a new construction that will uh, sort the overheating stuff. So um, We hadn't mentioned any of those things, so thank you very much for good input. Uh, we'll let you crack on and do some work before we record our next one. Well, I was providing a more optimistic <laughs> view, I think. <laughs> Uh, sorry, JBL, where were we? We were talking about... I don't remember what we were talking about. Um, we were talking about how um, some of the teams that had deficiencies in 2023 yeah. are able to use the off-season about what they can and what they can't. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, and basically everything that was uh, up for grabs this year will remain up for grabs. The only real technical change is that teams are now allowed to install an air scoop so that they don't the drivers don't overheat like they did in Qatar. As I say, everything is up for grabs. And so we're going to see that degree of convergence. And, uh, and as Matt interjected, I think valuably I think so. valuably. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, that, that people will sort of gravitate towards that McLaren DR, uh, sorry, McLaren Rebel DRS trick. To a degree, yes, but I think everyone's going to be sort of on a relatively level playing field with that. I think you know it's not, uh, it's not 
a huge change. It's basically make the beam wing a little bit more shallow, make the upper planes a little bit more deeper, let's say, and basically just going to get a slightly more powerful DRS. But I don't know, uh, I'll be kind of interested to see what a full field of that would be like. And if it sort of builds the case for when we've got this active aero situation coming in for 2026, if they bin off DRS and you get something else in its place, um, you know, that might make the case for that. Um, so ultimately, uh, what was I saying? Sort of the great seasons of F1, there has been sort of that degree of technical convergence. Um, I think when we got to uh, 2012, for example, we'd had those sort of regulations since 2009 for a little while. Yeah, the tyres were, were, were mental that season. But equally, everybody had sort of built very, very similar car designs they were all sort of doing the similar tricks with commander exhausts and that kind of thing regulations do need a few years to to gestate and settle and you know 2022 that was never going to happen because everyone's doing very different things 2023 was that year where everyone realized this is now what we need to do because our designs don't work and theirs does so everyone just copied Red Bull. So hopefully in 2024, we've got a field of Red Bull clones that will race very, very closely together. Do you think we will have? Because there's a different engineering principles up and down the paddock. We saw that with Mercedes take a long time. And I think I, if I were Mercedes, I would have done the same. You know, they're multiple world champions. I know how to win world championships. You don't want to come out after the first event and go, actually, let's do it the way that our competitors are doing it and give up on everything that we've, that, that we've done. So I understand that. But do you think ultimately everybody will have Red Bull clones to an extent? Or do you think there'll still be those? And it's not their pride. It's just the data saying we can plot our own course. How much should others be accused of copying? But also we've seen the likes of McLaren just go, okay, well, we're not winning championships. So let's have a look at what those who are winning them are doing. Yeah, exactly. I think honestly, yes. Um, And I think, you know, uh, and if you look at kind of the the transfer of knowledge from each team, let's say, for example, with with Aston Martin, when Dan Fallows came into the team, you know, he was about well-versed in that design concept, uh, having been at Red Bull for when it was sort of being developed. So Aston Martin kind of, for this season, I'm not going to say they copied Red Bull, but they certainly had their own spin on on the aerodynamic package and, and how it worked. McLaren certainly had that. And, you know, with the addition of, uh, of Rob Marshall and, and uh, David Sanchez, these are, you know, people that have got knowledge from Ferrari and Red Bull respectively. Uh, it's not going to be immediate uh, transfer, but over this season, you'll sort of see their influence come into it. Uh, and then there's this sort of, you know, movement of personnel up and down the grid. And I think ultimately you're going to get this situation where somebody comes in with a new idea and go, oh, this is what we found in the wind tunnel with regards to this aerodynamic package. Um, and they'll sort of build everything around that. Obviously, I think there is a certain degree of everybody, I guess, to a certain extent, getting kind of hung up on what they can see aerodynamically. And, you know, you see those sloped side pods and they think, ah, you know, that's very Red Bull-esque. But actually, the magic is what happens underneath. And um, the fact that now everybody has seen a Red Bull floor, largely thanks to our colleague uh, Ronald Vording from uh, the Dutch edition of motorsport.com, who, you know, has managed to sort of beckon cars to crash near him so he could take pictures of them uh, at races um people have a little bit of uh i don't know a few copy books to, to copy from let's talk power units so red bull powertrains hired aggressively over the last few years which is uh, has a, an effect of they're building up their own thing there 
uh, as part of their campus, but also it weakens your competition when you just throw the checkbook at hiring good people. And yet we've also heard at times after winning the championships of saying, well, couldn't do without Honda. Fantastic. Thank you, Honda, 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 Honda. Uh, and yet Ford... Incredibly hard to please. <laughs> and yet Ford, which we think will be more than a sticker on the side of the car and a sponsorship like, you know, Alfa Romeo... Um, that they'll have some engineering partnerships. Power unit-wise, anything changing from 23 to 24? We're still very much in power unit freeze territory. And so we've uh, been lucky at, at races this year that all four of the current powertrain suppliers have sort of done a talk and a presentation about their current spec powertrains to a certain degree. Um, and, and the last one to do this was, was Alpine. So Alpine team principal, Bruno uh, Famine, uh, Famin, if you're French, Um came and kind of explained and he basically said something along the lines of you know Renault has already started to you know gravitate most of its resources towards the 2026 project um so obviously there are reliability things that teams can change so let's say for example last year um the Red Bull slash Honda powertrain had a had a, a problem with with fuel pump and that sort of thing um and that was something that they were able to change Alpine had, uh, I think that their issue was water pump or something along those lines. So they were able to change that and, and haven't, you know, it's still not as reliable as the others, but they still haven't had problems with that. So things in the interest of reliability are things that they can change. Otherwise, it would just be massively unfair. Alpine uh, and Renault did want a little bit of a concession because they reckon they're about 30, 40 horsepower behind everybody else. Uh, that was not granted. Um, so basically... As, you know, as uh, I've just mentioned, you know, they're, they're focusing on getting the 2026 formula right. And I think that's where everyone else's heads will be at. You know, they're all very re- reliable these days. Um, we don't have that variability of, you know, particularly uh, combusty engines and that kind of thing anymore. So everybody will just be kind of continuing with what they've got, just making tweaks with, with software and deployment and things like that more than anything to do with the hardware. So finally, you mentioned it already in terms of um, 2026. We saw this at the beginning of the hybrid era when Lewis Hamilton was supposedly lured away by Nicky Lauda with, with talk of come and have a look at the all the dynos running and look at the facilities and we're working on this years in advance and we've heard those stories. And um, How much are teams allowed to start working on 26 and how much of of it is being regulated and how much of there is an agreement between them all not just to throw everything at 2026 uh, and sort of right off the next couple of years well it has been it has now been recently legislated which i think is a little bit i don't know maybe shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted but people have been told they cannot start working on 2026 until you know the calendar is 2025 really so with uh, and the regulations aren't quite set in stone yet we will have an active aero component i think that's pretty much agreed on that is largely because the powertrains are going to be so very very different that they're going to require a different aerodynamic package to provide similar range of speeds so that's something that's sort of been nipped in the bud for now engine development can can continue unabated and you know obviously you know you've got a honda coming back you've got the red bull ford uh, concoction if you will we've got Audi as well so they're all going to sort of need to be on equal footing so it's only you know it's only fair that they can kind of work on that um, so it, it's going to be very very exciting with regards to 2026 
as I say, they can't do anything about it now. I'm sure they've sort of done their preliminary work before everything was, you know, put in regulations that they can't start working on it until uh, until 2025. But equally, it's going to, and I think the powertrain in particular, as you mentioned, Hamilton being lured from McLaren to Mercedes, I think that's going to be a huge part of the 2025 driver market. We're starting to see, I don't know, a, a little trickle of who might be staying or going where. Um, there are suggestions that, you know, Leclerc is potentially close to agreeing a, a, a new Ferrari deal for, for 2025 and beyond. Whether somebody can come to drivers of that calibre and say, this is the powertrain we package we've got. I think we can do a Mercedes in 2014. That's, you know, where your pulling power is going to be as a team to to sign the best drivers for for, for, for that regulatory cycle so that's going to be quite an interesting thing you know this driver market this year has been well it hasn't been one has it there's been no change at all so i think next year will be the the interesting one interesting that they're not allowed to work on it till calendar year 25 you can't stop an engineer looking at other forms of motorsport and aviation or so aeronautics or or any other form of aerodynamics and like oh hang on here's how active aero works here or here or here and how could we use that in form you can't stop someone thinking about things i guess how do they how do they how do they even start to police that well, what the the I believe the FIA is hiring the dream police to stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm legally obliged to say that that's not happening. I've just made that up Good. for comic effect. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't stop people having thoughts and ideas and sketching things down. I think it's more of a, a formalized type thing. You can't put things in CFD. You can't put things in a wind tunnel. You can't, you know, start to maybe sketch things up on a work computer. Maybe if you've got a CAD package at home, maybe have a little go at it. But mm. um, I think, you know, when when it's sort of like an official thing, I think you would need to copy said drawing in a CAD package to ensure that, you know, you've not used property that was created in 2023 rather than 2025. So, you know, DFI has this audit now with regards to aerodynamic testing and, uh, you know, regulations, how things are applied nowadays with regards to sort of CAD packages and that kind of thing. So... They'll, they'll, they'll sort of have their way of keeping an eye on it but you know as you say people can't you know people are going to have maybe like they'll wake up in the middle of the night and have you know a dream about this that <laughs> and the other i'm sure that has definitely happened so if, if you were if you had a car company that made exotic sports cars for instance um and there were people working on technology perhaps in a future ferrari or a mclaren or an alpine or something um i know all these things are very well regulated and, and transfer of knowledge between departments even within internally let alone your suppliers as well but um yeah i don't know why i'd just i'd open the doors and say you know, have at it off you go here's well once you know what 26 is going to be like you know you know go for it rather than trying to hold hold people back but We'll wait and see. Um, well, let's hope that 24 is a year when teams start to converge, just for the, the benefit of the fans. Really, apart from Max Verstappen fans, they'd like everything to be the same for the next two years, please. Um, and then maybe at the end of 25, then the championship will be won on the last race, last lap, last corner overtake or something. And, and then we change everything again for 26. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Is it? You know, because obviously that always goes down well. Absolutely. with uh, certain fan groups <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much uh, for filling us in on what to expect on the tech side of Formula 1 in 2024 thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you on the next one
Social Podcast Network.